Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X, and a special episode. But before I continue, on August 30th at 2pm Mountain Standard Time, I'm going to be hosting a Zoom history conference about T.G. Hamilton. He was an MLA out in Winnipeg who would hold seances in the 1920s and 1930s that would bring out people such as Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. To register, it's $5, and you can do so through my website at canadaehx.com and click register. The conference is also free for my patrons, and you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Just go to www.patreon.com canadaehx. And of course, if you enjoy this episode, please give a rating and review. Several months ago, I did an episode on Canada and how it dealt with the Spanish flu. That episode is available to listen to, and I encourage you to do so, as it shows that at first, the Spanish flu was not taken seriously, and it would cost Canada 50,000 lives. I've always been fascinated by the story of the 1918-19 NHL season, and how it was impacted by the Spanish flu. And with hockey now back, at least for now, I want to look at how the flu impacted the season. So, this is a special bonus episode this week, and I hope you enjoy it. The 1918-19 NHL season was only the second ever NHL season, and while we have 31 teams in the NHL now, the 1918-19 season saw only three teams, the Montreal Canadiens, the Ottawa Senators, and the Toronto Arenas. The NHL was hoping to get an influx of players with the First World War ending, but few players would be demobilized in time to do so. The decision was then made to split the season, with each half consisting of 10 games. Unfortunately, the Toronto Arena has announced that after eight games in the second half, they could not continue due to poor play and issues with their training. The arenas would agree to play one more game, and the second half finished with eight games played. Soon after, on February 20th, the Toronto Arenas withdrew from the league because of financial difficulties. In newspapers, the information and stories about the league planning its season were printed next to the columns that were advising people to wash their hands and stay healthy with proper food. In Toronto, the Toronto Health Officer, Dr. Charles Hastings, spoke about sports teams playing games in the city. He would say, These games must be discontinued. They only jeopardize people's lives. It is inconceivable that the people in charge of them have not more judgment. The NHL did not seem to heed this warning, and it would begin play on December 21, 1918. One reason for this may be the fact that the NHL at the time was not a huge draw and the crowds would be small. 
It was in the lead-up to the new season that we would see the first hockey player death from the Spanish flu. Hamby Shore had spent seven seasons with the Ottawa Senators, winning three Stanley Cups with them in 1905, 1910, and 1911. In early October 1918, his wife Ruby would fall ill with the flu. Soon after, Shore would develop flu symptoms, and on October 13, 1918, he would pass away in Ottawa from pneumonia brought on by the influenza virus. In the Lethbridge Daily Herald, as well as many other newspapers, his death was reported as such. Following an illness of about a week's duration, Samuel Hamilton Shore, known as Hamby, died last night in one of the local hospitals. His recovery had been despaired for several days, and he passed away at 9.25 last evening. The late hockey star contracted his fatal illness last week while nursing his wife, who had been stricken with influenza. On October 16th, the day of Shore's funeral in Ottawa, Bobby Marshall, the 12-year-old son of the future Hall of Fame player Jack Marshall, died of pneumonia brought on by the Spanish flu. One month later, Rusty Warren, a Regina senior amateur hockey player, would pass away from the disease. With two players from two leagues dead, there was not talk of cancelling the games. The coach and owner of the Victoria Aristocrats, Lester Patrick, publicly stated that hockey should continue regardless of the health hazards. His own team would be stricken with the flu in February 1919, and the Victoria Daily Times would write that Patrick set a record for signing players as one man was stricken, another was secured to fill his space. The decision would have terrible consequences later. The aristocrat's captain, Eddie Oatman, was too sick to even begin playing, and he would be out for several weeks. As for Lester Patrick, despite keeping his team going, he too would get the flu, and this led him to not taking any chances with anyone who might have the flu on his team. As soon as a player developed symptoms, he would be sent home and have the team doctor visit him. Despite this, seven players would get the flu, but thankfully, all would survive. The Montreal Canadiens would finish in first place at the end of the first half of the season, with seven wins and three losses. The Ottawa Senators were second with a record of 5-5, five and, five, and Toronto finished last at three wins and seven losses. Things would switch in the second half, with the Ottawa Senators finishing first with seven wins and one loss, while the Canadians had three wins and five losses, and the Arenas were once again in last with two wins and six losses. At the end of the season, it was decided that Montreal would play Ottawa to see who would play against the champion in the Pacific Coast Hockey Association. Montreal would win the first three games of the series before falling to Ottawa in Game 4. Montreal came back to take Game 5, 4-2, and won the right to go on to play the Seattle Metropolitans for the Stanley Cup. While waiting to play the Metropolitans, the Montreal players waited in Victoria, and it was there that they likely first became infected. At the time, as was stated before, most of the roster of the Victoria Aristocrats had been infected. Most of the information that exists for the Spanish flu and the NHL comes from the Stanley Cup Final. The Metropolitans would take Game 1, while Montreal took Game 2. Seattle would come back to win Game 3, and both teams played to a scoreless tie in Game 4. By the end, the Canadians won Game 5, and the series was tied 2-2-1. While Montreal was on the verge of winning the Stanley Cup, no one was celebrating. Joe Hall, the veteran defenseman on the team, had collapsed on the ice. With two days off between Game 5 and Game 6, players on both teams began to develop flu symptoms. By this point, Hall was in the hospital with a fever of 104 degrees, and the day of Game 6, four Canadians, along with General Manager George Kennedy, were in the hospital. 
Newsy Lalonde, the superstar of the team and a future Hall of Famer, was also in the hospital. At this point, Montreal offered to forfeit, but Pete Muldoon, the general manager of the Metropolitans, rejected this as he did not want to win the Stanley Cup by forfeit. Muldoon said that Montreal should get players from the Victoria Aristocrats, but this was rejected. With the puck about to drop within five hours, and both teams not having a solution, the series was cancelled. By this point, only three players, including Sprague Cleghorn and George Vezina, were not infected with the disease. On August 1st, the Seattle Daily Times reported, Influenza has within the past 48 hours laid out five of the Canadians. The Metropolitans were not hit as hard, but both coaches would wake up with high fevers. The Montreal Canadiens stayed in Seattle as the players recovered, and George Kennedy's wife made her way to Seattle to be with him, as his condition seemed to be worsening. By the time she made it to Seattle, the players were improving, but sadly, Joe Hall had died on April 5, 1919. He was only 37 years old. The Winnipeg Tribune would state in their obituary of the player that he was one of the greatest exponents of the hockey game. Joe never spared himself while in a game. He always gave his best and never hesitated to mix things. It is a wonder that a player who received so many hard jolts and slashes as he did could continue in the game for so long. George Kennedy never fully recovered from his bout with the flu, and he would die at the age of 39 on October 19, 1921. His widow would sell the Montreal Canadiens for $11,000 to a group of Montreal businessmen. Pete Muldoon, the head coach of the Metropolitans, who was a very healthy man, who had been a nice dancer and professional boxer, would recover from the flu. But 10 years after the flu, he died of a heart attack, and many believe that he never fully recovered from having the Spanish flu, and that it potentially weakened his heart. As for Joe, he would be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1961, and into the Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame. I hope you enjoyed that look at the Spanish flu in the 1918-19 NHL hockey season, and if you did, again, please give a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.com, and you can visit my website where I have hundreds of articles on Canada's history. Just go to canadaehx.com. Information comes from wbur.org, Sportsnet, The Guardian, The Conversation, Wikipedia, and hockeycentral.co.uk. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.